0: I'm gonna go through some of those bad years, and I'm not just—it's—it's it's my land. It's where I grew up. It's in many cases, my parents or grandparents are buried here. It's where I want to raise my kids. It's there. It's more. Yeah, it's not just a a job. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast.
1: Every time I interview a person behind our food here in Washington State, there's some new cool twist and this week certainly isn't any different with Derek Freya and his family's roots in Europe and how that came to Washington State his background in the corporate world and coming back to the farm He's got a lot to share and we get into also what's happening right now with COVID and how it's affected potato, gro- you know, Washington state he, here is one of the biggest potato growing regions in the country. And they've been very hard hit by all the market disruptions and things that happen with potatoes and people not going to restaurants anymore and buying French fries. That, that's actually been a huge thing for folks. So he shares all of it. Uh, lots of story to get to. Thank you for joining us this week. I'm Dylan Honkoop, and this podcast, the Real Food, Real People podcast, is documenting my journey all over Washington. This time we go to Moses Lake, and we hear again from Derek Freya of Freya Farms, a big farm. But still, with family roots, and it's all about the family. Still, as large as they've gotten, and that's a really cool part of this too. You know, so often farms are judged by, you know, how big or small they are, and I think that's the wrong criteria to use because there are big farms that are great. So it's not about the size of the farm, and and you'll hear that in Derek's attitude and and just his whole outlook on why he does what he does and growing food so join with me in getting to know derek freya of freya farms in moses lake washington you've been doing the farming thing your whole life you're multiple generations into this right second generation second yeah so uh
0: I've been back on the farm five years. I mean, I grew up on the farm and then then left for, I was gone for like eight years down in California. So I went to school down there. But yeah, second generation farmer. My dad actually immigrated from Germany over 30, 35 years ago. So kind of settled. He married my mom who was American. She was from Seattle. And so he kind of discovered the Northwest and sold the little farm over there and kind of started, started here. And it's kind of bad time to be farming, good time to have opportunities to buy land. And so he kind of just started small and kind of found this area, just east mm-hmm. of Moses Lake that was kind of starting developing. And yeah, it's, uh, it's grown quite a bit since, since he took it over like 35 years ago. So yeah, uh, my brother and I are
1: been back, I think,
0: yeah, five, six years now.
1: Um, so you, you and your brother are in the farming operation now, but had both kind of left the farm. Yeah. Yeah, we actually went to the
0: same school down in California, and uh, we we weren't studying ag, so it's kind of a weird. My dad was trying to figure out what to do with the farm, how to transition out of it himself, while hoping to get some family back. But at the time, I mean, we weren't studying ag, so it's both studied business, which proved to be really helpful. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah, still, sure. it's, it's definitely. I mean, you gotta you gotta know your stuff, like ag agronomy wise, if you wanna you wanna be successful. So that's been the steepest learning curve. I enjoy the business side, and that it's kind of both. But yeah, it's uh, farming is just a lot of experience, just year over year knowledge gain. But yeah, it's nice to have some of the theory behind it, and i have kind of supplement it with classes and add yeah. classes here and there. But
1: so, do you wish that you would have gone to school for? I don't know for I mean, agronomy I, or farm, you know, something yeah, in agriculture.
0: In some ways, yeah. I mean, I wish I would have, but then, I mean, that's a, it's like a counterfactual. You go back and. What if? I mean, I met my wife there, some of my best friends, awesome experiences,
1: yeah. shaped who I am now. And uh, so, so from what, an edu- edu- education standpoint, yeah. So what was your plan at that point? Like, what were you wanting I, to do?
0: I, I didn't know. I like I I, went in, I was two years undecided mm. down there, like trying to figure it out. And I mean, yeah, farming, I mean, you've heard it before. It kind of, it's always like in the back of your mind if you've grown up on it. It's, it's kind of in your blood. So I mean, even... Even you, you didn't go back to the farm, but you're still involved in ag. Right, right. So, always in the back of my mind. Even going into business, still in the back of my mind. Like, oh, at least the farm's a business. And even after post college, I'm I'm going into like food type businesses. So even if it was more corporate, but it's still kind of the food direction with maybe the idea of going back one day and because you knew know. about that stuff, right? Yeah. 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 So I mean, when
1: you, when you were a kid, what was what was your dad doing farming-wise? Like, how big was the farm? What was he farming at that point? Uh, I mean, yeah,
0: every year it seemed like he was growing. I mean, potatoes is kind of the, the mainstay of the farm. That's mm-hmm. that's where a lot of the growth came from. I mean, he he didn't farm any potatoes in Germany, so he worked for a farm west of town for years, just kind of learning the ropes in this area. And yeah. then uh, he bought one field and, and then another field. And then at some point, I think he he rented out his ground and somebody else farmed potatoes on his ground. And he's just, I think standing by the side of the field one day is like, I could do that. Like, yeah, I'm going to like, this is ridiculous. Somebody coming into my field and grown a beautiful spud crop. Like, and again, a lot of the principles in ag are the, the same potatoes is a whole different level than like wheat, for example. But, um, no, he's, he's a good farmer. He had the educational background from Germany and, he was he was good at what he did. So
1: yeah, that family history is fascinating. What you said he did farm in Germany as yeah. well. Yeah, he did. And I mean, have you ever been over there? I mean, it's all all
0: the land is farmed. There's not a lot of new development. It's like generations of farms that have been kind of held together, and they're all small and kind of broken up. There's not a lot of big farms. Not a lot of opportunity for him. And he's very, mm-hmm. I think, entrepreneurial, risk taker. There yep. wasn't that there, like any room to grow. I mean, he had a, in those times, it was, it was an okay farm, but like for our standards, it was like one field's worth. It was like 130 acres, and that was big over there. And yeah. so I think being exposed here, marrying my mom, coming over here, he's like, dang, there's there's a <laughs> lot of room to grow here. Yeah. And Like I said, the farming wasn't great. Uh, I mean, wheat prices, like, like two bucks. I mean, it was it was kind of time to get in, even though you weren't making a ton of money. It was, mm-hmm. People were going broke, and so it was... Kind of combination of good timing luck s- skill um, being an opportunist and risk taker so
1: so uh, how did he meet you said your mom's from seattle how yeah. did he meet her how did that all go down she was an exchange student so
0: she okay. was over there and actually in a village like um 20 minutes away from where he grew up And i don't actually think they met there i think they met in vienna somehow hmm. randomly so that's where they met Connected there, and then I think after that they're like, oh well, I don't I don't know if they ever made the connection that she was staying. Like uh, they must have made some kind of connection, yeah. Because when they went back, that's when they kind of hit it off and kind of a long longer engagement back and forth, and then eventually came back here and got married. And actually, my older sister was born over there, and then a few hmm. months after she was born, they came back and settled here
1: permanently. So, so do you speak German?
0: Oh man, I used to be pretty good at it, yeah. and no. No, yeah. I should have taken Spanish. But yeah, no, I we, I went to language school over there for a bit. We were always uh, going over there pretty much every other year or so. Quite uh, a bit of family back in yeah, Germany uh, still that you're connected with. It was mostly my my grandma lived over there. Mm-hmm. He only had one sister. They only had one kid. Mm-hmm. So not a huge extended family. It was just when my grandma was still alive, we'd mm-hmm. go back over there. But um, yeah, not
1: not as much anymore. So. You grow up around him, you know, starting to grow this farm. He's an outside the box thinker trying to, you know, do something different, bigger, better, you know. And it was all potatoes when he was, when you were a kid, or was he already branching out into other stuff too? Cause you guys do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. There, right?
0: And potatoes, especially if you own the ground, you got to, you got to rotate it. So you're doing potatoes, let's say, every four years. So you're doing other crops in between. Right. That That's just the, the big one that takes most of the, Financial risk and time, money, people. So he was doing wheat, corn, things to rotate around it. So, but yeah, now we've delved into organics, uh, a lot of forage crops. Um, Yeah, probably fifteen different crops that we do. Most of it again is potatoes, so it's all kind of rotating around that for the most part.
1: Growing up here, what was it like moving down to basically LA where your school was? It was
0: it was a big change. I mean. But that's part of the that's part of the lure of, I mean, growing up in a small town and wanting to figure things out and see the big city and I don't know I was I was into sports like high school so I got to play soccer down there and nice. I don't know I had the beach and tons of people and it was just different and and my sister had gone there so I kind of was exposed to it and knew what to expect and knew it was a good school and again I didn't know I wanted to be a farmer so it wasn't like oh I'm gonna go to WSU or something so. Right. I, uh, yeah, it was good. It was, I, I, the biggest change probably happened when we, we had our first kid. So that was kind of the, the, the game changer. I loved my job. I like being down there. Had a lot of friends, mm-hmm. community, but then you have a kid there and sit in this tiny little house that's way overpriced, commuting an hour and a half every way to work, every day to work. And it just hits you like, what am I doing here? Like, what's, <laughs> I don't want to raise a family here. I don't, yeah, so. It kind of kind of takes that I think a little bit for some people to go out and experience that before uh, before coming back. So definitely appreciate it a lot more. And you have a diff- different boss, you work for a different company, you get a I don't know. It, it, you learn a lot as opposed to just coming straight straight back. So yeah. definitely appreciate it a lot more.
1: What was it like making that decision? Like okay, we're gonna pack up, we're gonna move back to the farm. Um. So my brother
0: actually. Moved back a year before, hmm. so he was kind of the, the test case. Like, he's moving back. <laughs> I'll kind of keep an eye on, on how he's doing, how he's liking it. And uh, so that definitely definitely helped because it's – yeah, it's definitely a big, big move. Uh, but, again, after having a kid and more kids, you're, you want to kind of be close to family. You want to be close to grandparents and have the, yeah. the free babysitting and the community support. And, yeah, you start thinking long-term, and it made sense from a – and just – Way of life like i love working outside and with my hands and but then you got the challenges of the business side and i can kind of bring my business experience to it too yeah. so um uh, yeah it was a, a little bit of a leap of faith but also I, it's home like yeah it, it's not crazy like a lot of people move all over the country into new places and this wasn't a new place it was familiar so it wasn't hard
1: how was it for your dad I mean, when you tell him, "Hey, yeah, I want to come back to the farm," is he was he pumped about that? What is he like, "Well, you got to kind of prove yourself"? I know that's how my dad would be.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's pumped in his own way. I mean, he's a he's German. He's stoic. He's <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, he he was pretty excited. You could tell he was yeah. pretty happy. I mean, he worked so hard to to build this up, and I mean, I, I could see you get up in age and you're thinking about legacy and what am I passing on and built it up for, for what, like, I mean, he was one to kind of retire and he got into flying. And so he's doing a lot of that. So, um, he was looking for definitely the next generation to step up. So it actually all kind of all four of us kids had at some point been Kind of all over the country and then we all kind of came back right now all of us are either in town or my sister's an hour away but she worked she was an accountant she was a cpa down in la and then eventually came back to the farm for a year before getting married so she was kind of accounting so she was in the farm and then um so yeah kind of all everybody's away and then within like two years everybody's back so i think they were pretty pretty happy about that and then of course all the grandkids come and they we were the first one to have a kid and within well, he's now seven and now there's 14 grandkids. <laughs> so it's just, wow. Yeah, you know, there's something, I don't know if it's just because you come back to a small town and you got the family element and you got the support structure and let's have kids and yeah. you go down to the city and one, two kids maybe per family if yeah, that. So sure. it's definitely easier to have bigger families and get that, that support. So how many um, kids do you have? I got four. Four kids. You know, sister has five brother has three
1: youngest sister has two just sounds tiring to have that many children running around yeah i have two but yeah yeah.
0: Yeah. no it's. i mean (laughs) i I mean i tell my mom or my my wife she she works way harder than i do i mean it's yeah i couldn't i couldn't do it um so it's kind of up to her if we have any more because she's the one putting in the long days and i come home i get to play with them and she's the one dealing with all the fights and um, pretty Yeah, pretty amazing what mothers. Yeah, they yeah, stay-at-home mothers even. I mean, they, they work hard. So it's, but it's fun. I love it. I love being a dad. And, yeah, you can't imagine life without them.
1: So back to, you come back to the farm. What does your dad have you do right away? Because on one hand, it's like, well, you're new here. But on the other hand, you're coming in with a business degree and business experience. Right. You know, does he throw you in a tractor? Or does he say, you know, get in the office and you're now going to be, you know, dealing with our you know business dealings and things like that yeah
0: i think a little bit of both i think uh yeah it's hard because you're at least i was used to kind of yeah that corporate type life and i mean making big decisions or at least being part of them and then kind of starting on the bottom a little bit i mean i i did a little bit of tractor work i mean i I did most tractor like high school and harvest and all that so i had some experience there but um but yeah definitely kind of grunt doing stuff that like Know, we have high schoolers doing now or interns and so you kind of do all that for the first couple of years and uh, kind of getting your feet wet there yeah it was kind of frustrating it's like ah, I should be doing a lot more but it's also kind of laying a foundation and kind of learning a little bit of everything so yeah. it's kind of that that tension of yeah I want to move up quick but I mean you can only move up having that like ground layer of experience kind of doing everything so yeah uh, and it's also a big farm now so it's not like I'm coming back and having having to do everything I mean we have awesome tractor drivers that are I mean, that's that's all they do they sit on a tractor all day and they're really good at it and yeah for me to come they don't necessarily need me to come in and and do it as opposed to just a kind of a father-son operation <laughs> where you're right. coming in like no sorry you're doing you're doing everything like no it's it's a lot to I feel like I still have a ton to learn I'm already six years into this and some ways, I'm still scratching the surface on a lot of stuff. But.
1: Interesting. You come from the corporate world. A lot of people say that, well, you know, family farming doesn't really exist. They're all big corporate farms. Having come from the corporate world, what's your reaction to that? Now being in this operation, it's big. You guys farm a lot of acres, got a lot of employees. Yeah. But is it the same as, like, working for a corporation? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. No, I mean,
0: yeah, just even the... You're stuck in an office all day. You're all dressed up. (laughs) I mean, it's you got meeting after meeting, and you're sitting in front of a computer doing Excel spreadsheets. And um, there's still a little bit of that here, but it's uh, not not the same at all. Especially yeah, for a big farm, it it feels like a family operation. We got good farm managers and um, hopefully some amount of like organizational structure. But right, it's it's not the same deal. I mean, we we're we're big. We got fifty full time employees. Um, but I think in the, the corporate world, that's pretty small for for most yeah. most big corporations. So, yes. How many
1: how many acres do you farm between all the different crops you guys have? I'll probably around ten thousand. A lot of people can't. I even for me, coming from Western Washington farming, which is so much smaller. It's more the size of what you were talking about your dad right. doing in Germany, yeah. right? That's hard for me to fathom but then for you to explain no it's still like a family it's run by the family yeah you have 50 employees but compared to a big corporation like you say that's nothing yeah what's the ethos of the company I, like when i came in here i'm seeing signs all over like you know with covid going on and like thanks thanks for what you do you you know essential farm employees seems to be a really upbeat positive kind of vibe you guys have here yeah i mean
0: yeah, I'd like to think so. I mean, hopefully it starts with leadership and there's good leaders kind of setting the tone. I mean, yeah, farmers by nature have to be optimists, I think, hmm. just to keep coming back year after yeah. year. So there's definitely a positive energy, I think, m- most of the time. And uh, yeah, I think uh, all the COVID stuff, I don't know, in some ways it, it, it's helped, I think, with the perception of farmers. I think when people, if people went to the grocery store and then all of a sudden they're not seeing – food on the shelves i think they start to it's just never happened before i think most people think food i don't know goes from grows like in the groceries i don't know i don't know where they think their food comes from but as soon as it's not there then they start to wonder like oh like this is food's a big deal and then you trace it back to who's growing it and where it's coming from and i think hopefully there's more of an appreciation for who grows it and supply chains and distribution centers that can get it to you and uh but yeah it's uh definitely essential um it's definitely affected our industry for sure yeah but uh no i think our our folks done a good job of trying to be safe and be smart about how we're within you know six feet of each other yeah doing trying to i don't know if you saw that guy when you first came in he was he was cleaning doorknobs and just trying to keep keep things clean and um in my mind just like common sense stuff that maybe maybe we should probably do normally yeah um but yeah it's uh all the COVID stuff. It, 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 for us. It was it was nice because we we're, we weren't all that affected. Like I got plenty of people that are out of work and sitting at home. And you know, we were busy. I didn't yeah. I didn't really feel the effects too much, which is which is
1: nice. Plus, you have space. You don't all have to be crowded together in an office most of the time. Yep. yep. Right? Yeah. Farming by nature is socially distant. So yeah. which I prefer. <laughs> We've been hearing a lot though about how brutal COVID has been for a lot of different farm markets. You know, meat dairy milk being dumped and and then also potatoes and especially here in Washington state other places too but I know here in Washington state you know we heard stories of you know potatoes with nowhere to go how's that hit you guys
0: um it, it's definitely affected us so on kind of two fronts it kind of hit during planting which is we're northern basin, so we're a little later planting. So we when we get the news, we we hadn't even started planting yet. So we were able to I mean, you still have a quarter to third of your costs in the field already before you even plant the seed. So we had we did get cut some of our acres and these processors said, Hey, you gotta cut, let's say, ten percent of your acres and so we gotta go out and try to find stuff that's what can we cut that's doesn't have too much money into it. But I mean they're no, I mean, that, those are real dollars that have been spent that have basically gone away. But luckily, we had some landlords that were gracious enough to either let us plant something else or just say, hey, well, you can come back next year and, and grow. So, uh, But yeah, it, it, uh, well, I've heard, it. I've heard numbers up to 50% on, on average. Some guys getting cut, some guys 100% on some of those direct guys that go right from the field to the plant. So the, wow. So they cut the the acres for next year. So this is twenty twenty crop, but you still have twenty nineteen crop in in storage. So we still have quite a bit from the fall in storage, and so that right. that was the other concern. We've heard guys that got basically left. I mean, their potatoes got left in storage, saying, "Hey, we don't want these anymore. Figure out what to do with them." So that had me more concerned because when you don't plan them, okay, you you eat some of the cost, but some stuff that's in storage, those are ev- all. Those are full cost potatoes right there sitting, and if they don't take those, you're you're definitely in a world of hurt. And our processor has told us it's you're just gonna store them later. So <laughs> by the time we start harvest this fall, we might still have potatoes
1: from last year in there. How long can you store potatoes, and they'll still mm, be good? I think
0: if they're if you have good storage and they're good spuds, you can go a year or more. It's amazing. We don't. That's the cool part about that. potatoes, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. In that way, yeah, we're lucky. It's not like the
1: leafy greens or like the perishable, highly right. perishable stuff, mushrooms. You have days, um, if not hours, sometimes yeah. to get things done with those things. So, if they're cutting what they're going to have you plant, say now, well, that's those are potatoes that will be eaten next year, right? right? So, and let's hope that we aren't having, you know, panic buying ups and downs and restaurants closed and all this disruption at this time next year, I guess. How do you know how much less to plant now when in theory you should plant just as much as you have in the past for the next year?
0: Yeah. So we're, we're all contracted potatoes. We don't really do anything on the open market. So it's kind of the processor who we sell our potatoes to that dictates, I mean, they are the big companies, and they're trying to do their best to forecast. Hey, what's this going to look like in a year from now? And what are French fry sales going to be? And right. so they're the ones, kind of. I mean, in my mind they're they're guessing as much as we are what it's going right. to be. And so I think they were trying to be conservative, and they they did not want to go long. And so that's mm. why they there was definitely a drop off in demand. Obviously, restaurants close not as many potatoes french fries i mean do you cook french fries at home i mean who it's not many people do that so you, yeah, if you're not going exactly. out there is definitely a demand loss there but yeah the, the big question is for next year did they kind of screw themselves by by shorting planting and then all of a sudden demand picks up and they're short product so yeah, I, that that's kind of my prediction because i feel like there's a lot of overreactions happening with covid and yeah people want to return to normal people want to go out and eat french fries mm-hmm. and have a burger and so my guesses are going to be short which in some ways is good for us uh yeah. we'll see if it reflects in the price it usually doesn't but
1: yeah. um, it's better than being long i guess for us to answer your question yes i do sometimes make sure. french fries at home nice i found an old-fashioned i think it was in an antique store an old-fashioned potato like fry cutter just a little plunger thing yeah kind of like a can cru- those can crusher things except plunges the nice. spud through a, a like a waffle shaped right. knife right and uh yeah it's pretty awesome i think i was thinking about that when this covid thing was happening and i heard about the problems in the potato markets it dawned on me it's like yeah most people don't make french fries at home but they should yeah. because they're awesome and it, yeah, yeah. it's kind of a fun thing to do yeah no I feel,
0: i've heard of like air fryers and yeah. I mean, people don't have typically deep fryers in the house but there, there's different ways of doing it, and. Um, But the fresh market definitely, people definitely stocked up on potatoes. It just wasn't the the French fried kind.
1: So what happened to all those potatoes and is happening, I guess, if there's still some left, that there wasn't a market for? What do you do do in that situation? I know, like, the Potato Commission was doing some pretty big events, even, like, at the Tacoma Dome, um, getting potatoes to people and stuff. There was some kind of outside-the-box thinking going on, I know. Yeah, but
0: still not making that much of a difference i mean i've heard numbers of as much as a billion potatoes mm. that they're trying to get rid of and you do Man. i think they've gotten rid of a few million i mean which sounds like a it is a lot it's just it's kind of a drop in the bucket compared to yeah. what they really need to get rid of so i don't i don't know what they're gonna do i mean worst case it goes to the cows but the cows can eat so many potatoes i suppose yeah but i don't know it's, it's gonna
1: hurt a lot of guys yeah are there potato operations that'll be forced out of business by this whole thing
0: I would imagine so but I don't know
1: guys have survived other stuff and hopefully their banks
0: are lenient with them but I don't know I I mean you hate to rely on like federal like bailouts but I don't know some of the some of the federal relief programs haven't really touched potatoes too much so Mm. they kind of need to get that sorted out and then figure out the guys that actually need it and hopefully they can stay afloat but
1: yeah I would imagine it's going to hurt some guys so, what the, the potatoes you guys grow, what do they go to? Like French fries, food service kind of stuff? What else? I mean, are they used for? I think pretty much anything? all French fries and probably hash browns. So, the plant
0: down the road is we sell our potatoes to, and that's Simplot, and that's primarily a, like an export plant. So, being mm. in the Northwest, close to the port, uh, biggest market being Japan, mm. kind of East Asia, a lot of stuff gets exported that way. Mm. So, um, McDonald's type. Spec fry is what they're mm-hmm. they're going for.
1: What does that mean? Spec fry,
0: like the McDonald's is kind of the the gold standard. Like the it's really they have really tight specs for. Mm. I mean, they want
1: every fry obviously to potato. look yeah,
0: to look to look the same, and um, so you need pretty high quality it has to meet all the quality attributes for them to be able to ship it there.
1: All well, us talk about market disruption and stuff with COVID challenges. It takes me back to your comment about farmers being optimists. And it also makes me think of your background in corporate business. Some of these risks and difficult situations that farmers end up in trying to grow food. Like what a corporation even do takes, you know, make some of those moves that farm, you know, you see farmers saying, no, we're going to go for it, even though, you know, we've lost money for a few years, but we think there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's an interesting question. I mean, because even
0: corporations, I mean... There's all sorts of ways to take risk. Uh, a lot of corporations at least I kind of felt that way. I mean, you're kind of you're you're not a lot of times you're not the one necessarily taking the risk. I mean, you got you get a good salary, sometimes you might have stock options, but you're not necessarily the one at least where I was at, I was kinda of working for a big restaurant chain. Mm. It was the it was the franchisees, it was the folks that are investing a bunch of money that were the ones risking a lot and potentially making a lot. I mean the corporate you're kind of you're more of a cog in the machine a little bit you're not as i think they're a little more risk averse mm-hmm. when it comes to farming yeah there's something i think there's something about being tied to the land and that rudeness that makes you or gives you the ability to to weather stuff and to to not just well or or there's a there's a longevity to it that's worth seeing through as opposed to something like, Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna build this house and or I'm gonna spec it out and see if I can take a gamble. Well, if it doesn't work out, I'm gonna Give the keys to the bank and move on to the next thing. I mean, <laughs> right. your land, your livelihood, and maybe there's generations, there's history, there's memories there. There's there's something about that that I think, yeah, may, maybe it makes you take the the long view and uh, investing in it and saying I, I I'm gonna go through some of those bad years and I'm not just it's it's my land, it's where I grew up, it's in many cases my parents or grandparents are buried here, it's where I want to raise my kids, it's there, it's more, yeah, it's not just a a job that oh, I'm gonna Risk my my future. I mean, yeah, plenty of places people go out and risk, and maybe they have to declare bankruptcy and they move on to the next thing like that. Eh, not not farmers as much, and I I don't know the statistics on on that, right. but that that's my general sense. Now that I'm on the farm, you know, raise your kids here, and it's it's a way of life. It's it's not just a passive investment that I'm just going to invest like stock market. Like I have no no I have skin in the game, but it's not nothing to do with my day-to-day reality with not your whole family life and yeah. tradition and i just little, little know speculation i often it.
1: ask farmers you know because times can often be tough for farmers it's not huge margin stuff it's you know it's hard work so then the question sometimes is well why do farmers keep doing it you know you'll see these farmers take losses sometimes year after year it's like why do you keep doing it but I think what you're explaining there kind of gets at some of the answer that there's more to the equation than just the dollars.
0: Yeah. I mean, you kind of need in any business. Yeah. You have to make money to to keep operating and you can only go so long with the equity of your land or for you know, runs, runs out if you're not doing a good job or if the markets don't allow you to, to succeed. But um, yeah, I think farmers, I think they love what they do. I think it's not just a business that I've invested in that can be here one day and gone, gone the next. I mean, I think they, yeah, they, they love it. They're passionate about it. It's typically, yeah, tied with family. And uh, I think they like being on a tractor. I think they like touching the <laughs> dirt and it's physical. It's something you can stand on. It's and you're, there's something kind of romantic, fulfilling about like seeing something from start to finish like that, where you're kind of stewarding, kind of a co-operator with with the land, with nature. With um, there's something kind of beautiful about even being dependent on on weather, and um, you definitely play a role, but you're you're not in control. I mean, you you do as much as you can do, but at some point, like yeah, there's outside, external things that dictate your future and but it is uh it's fun uh come harvest time after a year of planning and and trying to do everything right and you know weather cooperates and you get to kinda see harvest all I mean kind of standard cliche like reap what you sow and (laughs) and see the fruits of your labor. I mean it's a cliche for a reason. It's there's something yeah kinda romantic and beautiful about it.
1: What's the secret to growing awesome potatoes oh man i mean what what's oh. even just the process in a nutshell for people who don't know how potatoes are grown uh like you plant them
0: from basically them from pieces a, of other potatoes seed. yeah so you're it's, a, it's pretty amazing when you get into the seed piece of it because i mean that seed is a third generation seed so it's like three years they started with like a nuclear like kind of stem and then grew tiny seed from that. And then another generation of seed from that. And then, so you're, it's a long process even just to get the seed. And that's, that's a big deal too, because there's certain regions, Montana, someplace in Idaho, Canada, that, that grow really good seed that aren't um, infected don't have a lot of disease. Um, So it's a really big deal where you get your seed. And uh, yeah, that, that's, that's the first big part of it is getting, good seed good doing a good job planting it's a lot more complicated than just going down the road and getting some wheat seed or corn seed or something like that so it's it's a pretty you have to do a lot of research you have to a lot more I mean and then you got to cut it so it's a whole I mean for four or five weeks we have a whole bay that's like a little mini factory in there that's conveyors and belts and cutting equipment and people on the line cutting taking bad seed out i mean
1: it's a whole process just to get the seed ready to put in the ground so they get the actual full-size seed potatoes and then cut them into pieces yeah yeah. because you can get like multiple plants out of one potato
0: that way right your seed cost would be astronomical if you're going big seed so you're you're going for about 2.5 ounces average that's what we go for anyway and um but obviously potatoes come in all sorts of shapes and sizes so you're trying to do your best to to cut them down either once or twice to get them in that range
1: because the key is they need at least a couple of eyes on them because it's those eyes on the potato yeah you want you want
0: eyes on there if you don't have eyes you're just planting a a little piece of potato that's not going to do anything so um but yeah about two and two and a half ounces will get you plenty of eyes and you'll, you'll be good but um so yeah it's a long we plant in april and uh pretty much the whole month and then a long growing season we start harvest september 15th usually and go for a solid month so it's one of our definitely longer crops um, and yeah it's, it just takes a lot of a lot of babysitting i think it's not necessarily a secret but i think the key is you're just always checking it i mean you just gotta babysit the mo- I, <laughs> i've heard it said the most important thing you could put in the field like the most important input is either your shadow your boots or yeah. i mean just being there it's not, it's not a special fertilizer which got to get all that stuff right but you need to be in there I and mean, moisture management's huge um uh, but yeah so you got to irrigate a lot yeah to keep they, them going they take a lot of water i mean some people say 30 inches is mm-hmm. of water per year which is on the higher end versus weed i could do 17 inches and be fine so
1: so that's what you have those big circles for yep with the overhead irrigation
0: yeah we only get like eight or nine inches of rain here so we're mm-hmm. Absolutely dependent on, on uh, canal systems, wells to, to produce enough water for all that. So. Yeah, that's what
1: I was going to ask. Where does that water come from here? Like if if you have those sprinklers in a big pivot, one of those big circle irrigators that goes around, where's that water coming from? Is that from a well that's underneath that? Yeah, a com- couple
0: different sources. So we got a canal that runs close to our farm, so we'll pull out of there. For some ground, and then we got deep wells for some of it too. So kind of a combination between those two things. It's and out here, where does the
1: water in the canal come from? Is that part of the whole system of dams and rivers? and?
0: Yeah, so Columbia River, uh, just just behind Grand Coulee right there. So they'll pump it up, and then it'll go into Banks, Banks Lake, and that's a massive reservoir, and then it'll go through canal systems and Billy Clap Lake down into a whole network of both big and small canals. Mm-hmm. So we're close to the East Low, so one of the biggest canals will will pump directly out of mm. so it's a good really good source of water. I mean it's I think 600,000 acres irrigated out of that whole system and I think we're only using like 3% of the Columbia River. So it's it's amazing how much water is going through there and how and proportionally how much how little we're actually using of the river to irrigate all that and create a economy that's pretty massive in this area.
1: So. And a lot of people fed yep. all over the globe, really. Yep. I'm thinking about all the controversy over the dams and stuff. And a lot of people think, oh, well, we can replace that hydropower. But those dams are so much more than just hydropower, right? Like that uh, hydropower isn't necessarily for some of the dams in our region, the first most important use, right? It's irrigation, flood control, and a lot of those other things. What, what, what do those mean to you and being able to farm here? I mean, that's everything. I mean, that's that's the only reason people are here they
0: this is a desert i mean there's i don't know how big Mos lake was before but it was pretty small and i don't think people like living here for for that reason the dust blows and they're just you can't you can't even do dry, dryland wheat really i mean you're getting mm. 40 bushel dryland wheat here just because we don't get enough rain so you completely transform a whole region of the state that produces food like you said for the nation for around the world so and then yeah families communities recreation i mean sometimes i complain about it but the west siders come over here to kind of get out of the city and fish hunt i mean there's boat recreation all that stuff so it's it, it provides for the whole state in a lot of ways so pretty amazing area
1: what kind of a focus do you guys have on environmental issues with your farm yeah
0: i think it's both it's in our self-interest i mean yeah stuff gets mandated that we don't always like because they don't make sense and they're pretty burdensome but um yeah big picture i mean we we want to take care of stuff i mean even a big push on like soil health and uh raising your organic matter and all i mean yeah we we want to do that i mean all that stuff helps us grow crops and keeps things around for again i go back to the the generational thing i mean there's not farmers typically are kind of family businesses that they want to keep for generations so you're thinking you are thinking long term you're thinking my kids and grandkids what are they going to be farming it's not just hey i'm going to take a short term mine the soil and abuse things just so i can get a short-term profit gain like right. i literally am shorthanding my my kids and my my grandkids so there's there's like a built-in i think check on that and uh you're looking at the short term, like my decision to put more manure down or green manure crops might not pay off by next year. But you you do know, like, hey, this is kind of know the science behind it, and this is good, like a long term investment that uh, that will pay off at some point again for future generations. And you know, green manure, what does that mean? Like a a plant that's not necessarily a cash crop. So, like after I take off wheat or something i could plant like a legume or, or something that builds the soil i'm not necessarily taking nutrients off but it could uh fixate nitrogen it could kind of build the soil and you're putting it back in and i mean that's a that's a real cost i got i gotta buy the seed i gotta plant it i gotta fertilize
1: sometimes i gotta water it all that stuff just to plus the opportunity cost of not getting some other crop off of there right right, right. so yeah. but that builds the soil and ultimately you're fertilizing your soil in a more natural way yep yep
0: so that's a long-term play you can't i can't put that on the spreadsheet and say hey i i know my costs and this is i got a five percent return on that investment like yeah no but
1: it's still still good and i think in long term so you guys are doing some organic stuff yeah how, how do you get into that what does that involve and is that potatoes or is that other things?
0: We haven't done potatoes yet. Uh, we have another processor down the road that does a lot of like fresh or like processed like sweet corn peas. And so we've kind of gotten the the sweet corn, kind of got a got us into it. And then uh, that's actually my my brother's kind of expertise and what he's kind of gotten into. So he's really kind of taken the bull by the horns on, on the organic. And we it's a three-year process to transition conventional to organic. And so it's kind of a long again kind of a long view of like all right we're gonna invest in this and probably take it in the shorts and hmm. lose money for those three years while we transition and then but definitely a big learning curve on it's a different way of farming and it's it definitely has its value and, and benefits and hardships and i mean i tried to plant circle of peas this year and had to plant twice mm. and second time even failed too so it's uh, it's uh, what happened Oh, it was farmed conventionally a long time, and I think there was some like pythium buildup, and because it's organic, you can't put any seed treat on it. So Mm. it's, I think it just attacks the seed. And
1: so, what's pythium?
0: It's a, it's kind of a a, like bacteria that's that's Mm. in the soil. I mean, there's some soil. Yeah, there's all that attacks hundreds
1: of them that are
0: thousands that are that are in there. That they they they're they're everywhere. It's just peas are little more susceptible. Yeah. That's organic. I mean, down the road I did exact same variety with a seed treat and it looks awesome. So just the cost of doing organic sometimes, I guess.
1: And such is the way of farming too, right? Where you do one thing and then you try something different and find out, oh, there's this issue, some issue that you hadn't dealt with before. Yeah. Always something new. Yeah. And there's
0: I mean, as long as you're learning from it, I mean you try to sometimes those are expensive mistakes and yeah you, you try to imagine what you're going to do different next year even though you the second time planting i thought i had fixed everything and apparently not but uh yeah it's uh that's what's great about farming right it's not a you're not producing a widget i mean it's everything's changing there's 100 different variables that go into producing a good crops so you're always there's always something different and you're always like a puzzle and you're always trying to figure it out and um definitely keeps you on your toes and sometimes awake at night, but uh, it's
1: fun. So what do you all, all grow? I guess we've talked a lot about potatoes, yeah. and you mentioned sweet corn, and you mentioned something else wheat, too. Well, And you, and you talked about peas, growing peas and wheat. Yeah. Sweet uh,
0: Bluegrass seed is another big one. So mm. Kentucky bluegrass seed is another big rotational crop. Uh, and then we've gotten into organic asparagus as kind of kind of the new growing and kind of emerging crop on our mm. on our farm which is interesting because it's like a spring harvest. Mm-hmm. So while we're planting everything else, we're harvesting the asparagus. And When you plant the asparagus then? Well, that's also... In a, the fall or in the middle of winter? No, or we what? just actually got done planting another, oh, really? another field. So, you, But it's going to be you know, three years till you're in production. Oh, really? So wow. it's a long, it's a perennial crop though, so it could stay in, in the ground for you know, 10, 15 years. Mm. But uh, yeah, that, that's kind of the... Latest and greatest on our farm. But yeah, like I said, alfalfa, Timothy hay. Uh, Sometimes we do beans if it fits in. So it's all about the... Canola seed. Uh A couple fields
1: of that. So it's all about the rotation or which kind of dirt a given field is or what what kind of makes the call on that? Well, because potatoes is the big
0: one, uh, we're kind of rotating around that. So you got that every four years. So the other three years, you're kind of figuring out what to grow. And so we... Sweet corn works really good in rotation. It's good before potatoes. It uh, builds the potatoes, up, the, the, the soil kind of before going to potatoes and then, uh, and again, some of its markets, we got a processor down the road, so it makes it really easy to, to deliver to them. Uh, wheat is kind of just, a, we don't always like to do wheat. It's not that profitable, but it works really well before bluegrass. Mm. And the bluegrass is good from a, both a soil health standpoint and uh and seed crops you can sometimes make more money so kind of between those solid four and then you can mix it up here and there and doing a lot of alfalfa because it transitions really well to organic so your number one issue in organic is weeds so you're just constantly dealing with weeds and so alfalfa because you're cutting it four times a year you're constantly taking out weeds so it's Mm a easier way to to transition and and you still have a crop that you're hopefully breaking even on or making some money on so what
1: are, where does that alfalfa go i mean that's bailed up as hay or is it forage like yeah so uh, it's crop? it's also
0: mostly exported too if it's high enough quality so down the road we got some some friends that run a press and a lot of times we'll sell our alfalfa to them they'll press it cube it put it into containers and ship it overseas so and they're and, feeding it to cattle over there. Dairy or? cows, uh, I think dairy cows is a big one. Uh, sometimes horses, but cattle. Yeah, mm. so much stuff to keep track of. How do you how do you track it all? Um, I don't. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, we got we got a good team. We got a lot of guys that are that that keep track of different things, and uh, so that, that's probably yeah. No, no one person can can keep track of it all. That's for sure.
1: When you came in coming from the business world and got kind of involved in some of the business stuff here, did you make some changes, kind of say, hey, you know, here are some new ways of going about things or how do you manage that kind of stuff?
0: Yeah, I mean, not, I see little things that I could have done, like I kind of took over IT stuff. I was like, we need an IT company, like we need better internet, we need, I mean... (laughs) People are always complaining about the internet. So I, I don't know, I, I kind of just found little things that people had issues with and that weren't up to my standards, I guess. Like, yeah. We need good internet here. Yeah. That's kind of kind of important. What does um, a farm need internet for? Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, I, I could probably
1: answer that question, but you can probably answer it better than me.
0: Yeah, well, especially, well, our accounting. We have a really good accounting team and they're uh, pretty connected with all that stuff. But I mean, you're a big... Thing that well, this kind of relates to another issue I saw. Like utilizing technology was um, like on on pivot, like kind of pivot control, having stuff on your like tele- telemetry, having it on your phone. We were kind of it's it's expensive to get it on your fo- phone. We use FieldNet, so that's a thematic product, and that's all all the circles that we have mostly. But basically, getting the panel, the circle panel, on your phone and uh, being able to control it from there was. Like huge and I definitely I definitely made a push uh, to get that done and I, we tested on a few fields and I was like this this is a no-brainer like this is
1: so what can you control then from your phone like you can the actual s- irrigator Yeah, you can
0: start it you can stop it you can set programs you can set when it stops you can view it from anywhere to figure out where it's at if it's if it breaks down you get a text mm-hmm. I mean there's just it's just real time so that and you're not having to drive in every single time, wear and tear on pickups. Uh, it's uh it's pretty amazing like how much time I mean, there's sometimes I'm laying in bed like checking it and I can set a call a stop and slot so that it stops at a certain time and that saved me a whole trip out there. Like it's it's definitely paid for itself and you know, it's just one of those technology pieces that uh pretty amazing that I mean, you know, fifteen years ago didn't didn't have, but that
1: huge productivity efficiency gains. So does that save water? Uh, being able to you know make sure that you don't have issues there and you have your timing right for yeah, irrigation.
0: I suppose it it can save. Yeah, yeah, it can save. I mean, you can just be more precise. You can plan a little better. You can make sure it's off when it needs to be, or check it uh, quicker and, and make sure either it's on or off. Or, uh, but more so just for the for the cr- crop itself. If something if something happens, you can respond a lot quicker if it's on and not moving and watering in one place and you can, I mean, it can just from a crop, man. I mean, I think you can do a better job irrigating, get
1: better crops from it for sure. Uh, Versus if it breaks down in the middle of the night and just sits there pouring water into one spot and you have a big mud hole and you waste a bunch of water and you have a big mess on your hands. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Or if it really needs water and it shuts off in the middle of the night and maybe i wasn't getting to that field till mid-morning but i can oh first thing right there turn it up it's gonna get hot and it needs it and so yeah your response so it, yeah
1: ideally you should be able to get better crops makes it hard to get away from work though
0: i guess it, you in some wake ways up in the middle of the
1: night and adjust your irrigation if you wanted to, yeah no in some ways and yeah
0: But yeah, no. But in some ways, it makes it easier. Like I can I can take off for the weekend and still kind of monitor stuff if I need to, or make some changes and uh, spend actually a
1: little bit of time with your family. But keep an eye on the
0: irrigation. Exactly. So I I
1: love it. I can't can't go back, (laughs) even though it costs a little bit. Yeah, but it's pretty sweet. What's been the hardest thing on the farm since you've been back and? you know farming has its challenges what's been the most challenging time for you so far
0: I'd Say, just the the, the learning curve is, is steep I mean it's just it's one of those things I I, I want to figure out I want to solve it a lot quicker than than the seasonal just the seasonality of farming allows for like it just takes like I encounter a problem with planting like I don't come around to that specific thing for another year and so it takes me five years to get just those five events to happen, as opposed to if it was replicating itself more often, I could really feel like get up to speed quicker. It's just just the the long <laughs> process of, and it's <clears throat> just long enough a year so that you kind of forget and kind of having to relearn it, and it's just. I mean that's why these good farmers I mean they've been doing it 50 60 years they just seen everything and there's no book that can even though them I mean
1: 50 years you that's only 50 chances. Yeah. So you got to make each one of those count. Yeah. Cuz that's a lifetime.
0: Yeah, that's not very many. I mean it, it isn't it isn't. I mean it's yeah, you uh really got to be on top of it and try to I mean ideally take notes or I I don't I mean it's just yeah, a lot of it's a lot of it's by gut for a lot of these guys just because it's so they've done it so many times but it's taken so many years to get to that point so that that's kind of been the the toughest thing i just i I wish i could learn way faster and it's just sometimes slow
1: you um set some kind of record or something with wheat growing right oh saw that did you yeah what what was the story there As Uh, as a potato grower Well, obviously, you guys grow wheat on your rotation, but it sounds like you've really kind of honed in on some cool stuff that you're doing with growing wheat.
0: Yeah, so I kind of became the wheat guy a couple years ago, and i take this on and manage it, and uh, so I did, and I kind of was looking around, and I saw that that competition, a lot of the winners were coming out of this area, and... It's like man, what are we? Are we missing something? <laughs> like we're they're literally miles away and they're getting yields like that. And what was the competition? This is like, a
1: national wheat yield competition. I mean, it's so it's like to see who can get the most five. off of an acre or how. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's it's small plots. So it's like three acre test plot that you gotta set it aside harvest it weigh it have it certified by kind of a third party and if it's a if it's high enough you can win the competition so it's not like a full field but it's still kind of a small sample size and anyway i, I saw that i saw some of, some of the agronomists who were involved in that and just kind of reached out to him like hey we got we grow eat can you help us out and so brought him in and uh yeah and he like the first year we kind of took part in it we a kind of combination of picking the right spot good year good field and yeah won it with I guess, 180 bushels to the acre so yeah, not that the whole field did that but that three acre plot did it and yeah it's cool got a want a trip to san antonio and yeah, kind of fun for the farm i think for the guys to to see that and
1: so this is what the highest wheat yields in the country in the nation, yeah wow.
0: for certain class so it's irrigated spring wheat is, mm. So as opposed to either dryland spring wheat or winter wheat or irrigated winter wheat, all that. So in that class, it got the highest. But yeah, yeah, kind of amazing. Cause we don't, we're kind of potato growers.
1: So I think it was kind of surprising for the guys. <laughs> like, oh, yeah.
0: okay, we're, because we do other crops pretty well too, but yeah, kind of fun.
1: Something like that though, does that change the way then, the things that you discover when you're doing that, does it change the way you farm the rest of your, your wheat from the little test plot or?
0: Yeah, we definitely made some, some changes and i mean it's small sample one year i mean you kind of take that with a grain of salt like i right. hey, need to replicate that for a few years different fields see if we can kind of get the same results but uh yeah yeah i made some changes to the program and again i think our farm is more like hey we're not going to spend a ton of money on weed it's kind of low cost let's just plant it and because we have to and it's a good rotation but not right. spending a ton of energy time on it so uh, yeah kind of kind of took it over and um i'm still learning a lot and that, that was part of it too is bringing in somebody that can kind of teach and kind of compare notes with and see what they're doing so yeah it's helpful and uh yeah kind of icing on the cake to to win something like that too so
1: yeah what did the the longtime wheat farmers in in the neighborhood say to you about that really like, yeah what are you doing you young buck <laughs> uh, yeah no, you got I, lucky
0: <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah, no it's sometimes i think it was lucky but no it, it's it's a good area i mean we like i said this area i think some of the neighbors have won it before and they're it's uh at the right latitude we've got the right temperatures i mean it's got good water soil it all kind of adds up and i mean i listened to a deal yesterday i think uh i think uk and new zealand are the kind of highest of grossing wheat yields mm. in in the world and a guy in new zealand got like 250 bushels or something so anyway that kind of puts it in perspective there's still a still a yeah. long way to go but uh it's pretty amazing so now are get you
1: those gunning for 250 bushels sure yeah i think you can do it <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's like not right unheard, away. We'll get there. i the like, not it? if
0: I could even get to two hundred. I'd be happy. Wow. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if that's ever happened in the U.S. Probably not.
1: Well, thanks for sharing your story. There's a lot of cool stuff you guys have going on here. And I could sense it right away when I drove onto the farm, just the signage and the people here. And it was a really you know, positive vibe. So I could tell that you guys good. really care about what you're doing here. Good.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh,
1: hopefully a good place. I mean, you don't know what employees are saying behind locked doors, but you, yeah. <laughs> you hope
0: you create a culture that they look forward to coming to work to yeah. and feel taken care of and kind of feel part of the family. So.
1: And I appreciate you being willing to open up and share the personal side of all of it too. Yeah, yeah my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. Derek is so relaxed. And it's just, I mean, obviously he's faced challenges and done a lot of different stuff, a lot of hard work. But you can tell he's just the person that kind of can take it as it comes and keeps a positive attitude, and it really was cool visiting the farm there, um, because they're a, a big operation, but it doesn't feel like that. Everyone's, you know, communicating and talking. It's a really positive atmosphere. And I really enjoyed my visit there to Freya Farms. If you enjoyed this conversation with Derek, make sure to check out our YouTube channel. I'm just starting to get it up and going. So I'll be adding more stuff as I go here. And hopefully I'll even be able to add some of the conversation um, that kind of went on even beyond what we have here on, on the podcast. Some kind of extra conversation that we had I want to say before it was over, but you know, it's only over when it's over and I get in my car and drive away, you know, the, the conversation just continues. So I've got more of that to share, um, on our YouTube channel, just real food, real people on, on YouTube, just search it up. Should be easy to find. Thank you for your support. Thank you for subscribing on uh, Google podcasts, on Spotify, on Apple podcasts, you name it. Uh, also following our, our social media channels, Real Food, Real People, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram, um, and checking out our website, realfoodrealpeople.org. Again, my name, Dylan Honkoop, grew up on a family farm, and I just want to share the stories of family farmers and all the other people uh, behind our food in, in the restaurant world, um, in the research world we've had here, people who distribute food, all kinds of stuff. That is part of bringing food grown here to our tables. The Real Food, Real People podcast is sponsored in part by Safe Family Farming. Giving a voice to Washington's farm families. Find them online at safefamilyfarming.org. And by Dairy Farmers of Washington, supporting Washington dairy farmers, connecting consumers to agriculture, and inspiring the desire for local dairy. Find out more at wadairy.org.